Okay, so that's what I'm going to be singing when I get to heaven. If we wanted to have our kiddos go on downstairs, Miss Ashley's going to have some great, great stuff for you guys. By the way, I forgot to announce, uh, if you, today is the, not, well, the final week, but if you have, you're still collecting, that's fine, but we're going to get a tally together, um, probably next week, if you had your baby bottles brought in, I know someone had brought one in again today, so don't forget about that. Um, you can keep bringing them in, don't worry, uh, we'll get it, but we want to get a running tally, we'll have one either next week or the week after of what the total came in for Rocker Pregnancy Care Center, so. Yeah. I do uh, back on the windowsill out there. I've got I think four more, so um, so that'd be that'd be perfect. Grab them. They take them all throughout the year. So even if you don't get them right away, so that's perfect. So there's four more. And people have already filled one up. Want to get another one? Grab another one. So, but um, really quick, we're jumping back into the pit. How many love your pits you're in, huh? Today we talk about getting out of a pit. How many want out of a pit? So life can be the pits, but it doesn't have to stay that way. Amen. Um, dreaming in the pit, we're going to be talking about the story of Joseph, and unfortunately I can't, this is going from Genesis 39 to like 50, so I'm going to be skipping a little bit. I do apologize from a standpoint of text. Um, I'm just going to hit some key points in there because there's so much meat in here. We could talk about Joseph for the next six months, but uh, unfortunately, Joseph, you're done after this week. So, <laughs> But uh, this, this uh, week we're going to be talking about Joseph, his time in the pit, uh, and getting out of the pit, um, last, last week we were talking about, and it was, I think it was very powerful for many people, I got to talk with a lot of people and pray with a lot of people, and uh, um, it's, it's pretty amazing how God works in, in spite of the odds, uh, we heard the story with Jen today, how God just is working and moving, and uh, we just keep plowing ahead, and um, I believe the one thing that's going to keep us moving, though, and keep us motivated, motivated is our futures. And so many of us were motivated by our past, or shall I say not motivated by our past, and we end up getting into a position where we're not dreaming about anything anymore. And so, folks, I, I love memories, don't you? Turn around and say, aren't memories beautiful? But I want to make some memories now, don't you? I want my pictures I'm looking at not to be from 20 years ago, but something we did just right now we're going to do. So we're in a planning and a strategy time this morning now. So um, why don't we close our eyes and uh, just ask the Lord. He's already here. Isn't it great when God orchestrates and moves in the music and starts to minister and break us down? Lord, we just thank you, Father, for the sweetness of your spirit that was so evident here and is working and moving. God, that you never leave us and that you never forsake us. And that, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts, continue working there. God, provide healing. God, provide insight. Give us wisdom and knowledge, Lord. We don't understand the pit sometimes. We don't get it. But God, I just thank you that you know the end before the beginning. And that you're the author and that you're the finisher of our lives. And that, God, in you we were fearfully and we were wonderfully made. That, God, you order the stars, you order the heavens, you order the, the rotation of the earth, you order every song, every sparrow out there this morning. God, if your eye is on the sparrow, then your eye is on us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. One of the most confusing parts of this story 
And I think it's because of our American versions of prosperity. How many want to be blessed today? You know what blessed means? Let me, let me put it in this context. When you say, how many want to be blessed today? How many want to be happy today? Yeah. See, because happiness isn't about your monetary status. How many know you can have a whole lot of money and be pretty in the dumps? So, so if, if success was about just money, then boy, that would be an easy thing. And if success was just about heading it this way or the white picket fence, then everybody in America should be pretty much happy, right? We're the wealthiest nation on earth. We should be the happy. Why are we all so upset about everything? We should be happy. Turns around and say, aren't you happy? I saw a basketball player, he got traded. He's got one of the highest totals of technical fouls. I think his name is Kirk Cousins. Boy, he was bothering me the other night. I was watching him. This guy just signed a huge contract. Sorry if you're a Kirk Cousins fan here today. So he's walking around, and you know, the guy on his face, he's just like this all the time. You know what really makes you a likable person is if you kind of smile stuff. You know, you can make millions and still be smiling, can't you? And by the way, you can make almost nothing and still be smiling, can't you? So it can't, success isn't about material, it isn't about this or it isn't about that. So it's got to be something deeper, something's going on the inside that's preventing our own happiness. See, this is where we in our pit... The Bible declares this about Joseph, that Joseph was a slave now. How many would like to be a slave today? I mean, thank God we don't have that anymore. And thank God for the Emancipation Proclamation from Lincoln. And thank God for Martin Luther King's and all these people who stood and say, no, that's wrong. But Joseph was a slave. And he managed Potiphar's house. And in fact, in the jails, we noticed that when he started being in the jails, that the Bible says that Joseph had favor on his life and that God made him prosper where he was at. Well, that's not the prosperity that I'm taught with the American gospel, is it, with yours? He would not be a good prosperity teacher in America. Well, let's look up what it means to prosper then. I looked up the word prosper and it's Hebrew for Toeb, and I hope I said it right. Sorry if you Hebrew scholars are here today. T-O-W-B, Toeb. It means prosperity. It means good, pleasant, agreeable, or beneficial. It doesn't mean houses, cars, millions of dollars. That's not what prosperity means. Come on. James Randall Robinson writes this. The opposite of prosperity is not poverty, but adversity. This is not to say that poverty is a blessing from God, but to point out that the original word for prosperity and these passages is not necessarily related to wealth. However, it is directly related to happiness. Huge thing. So our prosperity and our success today if you're in a pit today, it's not to avoid the pit. You know, we're not going to be these type of people when things are going wrong. Nothing's going wrong. Everything's great. Everything's happy. Aren't those kind of people annoying? <laughs> they call that denial. I mean, why can't you just say, man, 
It's pretty crazy out there. The circumstances I'm facing right now, they stink. It's okay to say they stink. I'm sure Jen wakes up every morning and she goes, I just love the great my shoulder. Praise God for it. Right, Jen? Oh, thank God for the great my shoulder. That, you're not being holy by doing that. It's happiness. It's well-being. It's beneficial. That tells me wherever you are right now, and your job, if your job is a crummy job, then just learn to enjoy the crummy job. If only you are a street sweeper, then you be the beneficial person with favor on your life and start to be someone who is successful in the position that you have. I've learned to be really happy managing, and I remember when I first started in window cleaning, and I've said it time and time again, but there are people here that don't know the story. There were times in my life where I was completely embarrassed to call myself a window cleaner because it's the bottom of the barrel. Come on. Well, not to you. To me, it was. <laughs> to me, it was. And do you know you get perspective, and if you don't gain perspective... And the situation you're in, you'll swallow yourself whole. Because you'll be clouded by all these circumstances, and no matter what anything God says about your future, you will never agree with it. You know, part of this whole thing with God, and the whole promise and everything, is starting to agree with God. It's starting to agree with God in the place where we're at, and realize that, you know, the circumstances maybe are what they are. But that's not forever. It's not related to wealth, but it's directly related to happiness. This is how you can learn to be successful all the time where you're at. Turn to someone and say, you're a success story. Successful wherever you are at. Unfortunately, we put everything in the context of wealth and numbers. You know, when churches, pastors, they get together. That's how come I hate the pastoral conferences. Because all of them, ah, the first question they ask is, what numbers are you running at your church right now? What is this? What is it? What is this about? Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Paul had a secret that he found to his success. Philippians 4, 11. Huge thing. Not that I was ever in need. That's a key right there. Because you know, with Christ, we don't know need. You know, in Christ, we have all provision we need, don't we? For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That verse, many of us know, but many of us forgot where he says, you know what, I don't have need of anything, because I have learned the fine secret of having little and having lot. I think, man, when you, you get into it with life, man, if all it is right now for you is peanut and butter and jelly, thank God for peanut butter and jelly. The best staple you can ever have. You can go to the Wonder Outlet and go, how much can you get a loaf of bread for still at the Wonder Outlet? 
I think like a buck or two, right? Yeah. Get a Wonder Loaf of bread for a dollar. You might be a little, but man, that's still weird. 2017, you thought inflation would have caught up. Wonder Bread's still a buck. Get your jar of peanut butter, and you just celebrate. Maybe design the peanut butter, put a little bit of leaves or something on it. Make it look pretty. Hot dogs are a beautiful thing. Tube steaks, they used to tell me in, in, in college. I never forget we had an opportunity to have some meat in college, some good meat, because we got so used to ramen noodles. Ramen noodles are the most amazing thing in the world, aren't they? Yeah. Ramen noodles. You know, I remember my dad every Sunday night, he'd have ramen noodles and crackers, and it was just a beautiful thing, and man, it was a, just a fantastic thing. Ramen noodles are a fantastic meal, aren't they? See, we get upset with God when He doesn't live up to our standard. You know, one thing my wife taught me was that, you know, I, I, I'm the baby of the family. The babies of the families are spoiled across America. Any got any babies of the families in your race? Go ahead, raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about, you babies. You know what I'm talking about. The babies of the family. I believe in birth order. <laughs> I do. There's science behind it, I'm telling you. But where was I going with that? Anyway, so, oh, my wife. So my wife, man, she's the type of person that is so funny. Like, we had, a, we had two, a couple dozen eggs in our, free, our fridge, and then we had the new one, and then we had the old one with two old ones left. I'm the type of person, I'm like, I don't want the old eggs, I want the new eggs. I'm not getting the two eggs out of you. Can have she's like, see, this is unbelievable. We took the new eggs out, and you left the old ones. I'm like, yeah, but I want the new eggs. I want the new stuff. She, she, she's the type of person that she'll always have the bottles upside down just getting the last drops of soap and I'm sitting there like, that's taking up space get that in the trash can we're all done with that, get the new soap out I want new soap, I'm the baby of the family here <laughs> whether you've got a little or a lot it's okay and Paul said, you know what, it's no big deal we walk around Driving our cars, we think we're all back. And it's amazing the beauty of it when you can come from a place of nothing. And that's the beauty of this American dream we have here, isn't it? That we can love a life, the liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Happiness is not in the context of stuff. Happiness is being in the present state where you're at and being content and being happy. Folks, there is nothing more appealing and nothing more beautiful than seeing two old people being married for 70 plus years in love with each other. Folks, that's happiness. It's happiness. God might send you manna. God might send you quail. God might send ravens to feed you. God might multiply your oil today, but He will provide for you in your present difficulty. I don't care how you get it. It doesn't matter how the money comes. Money is money. Money spends everywhere. American money spends all over the globe. But He will send you money. He will provide for you. He will take care of you. He might get this and get that. And no, you might not have that big, huge breakthrough that everyone celebrates, but you know, when you start connecting the dots, and when you see the simplicity of God's provision, you will have a spirit of gratitude and you will become happy and you will thank God for it all. 
Turn to someone and we say, are you content? You know, it's a powerful Hebrew term for, for, for God, and it's Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. Jireh means Jehovah provider. He's my provision. You know, the names of God are so beautiful. I challenge you to look up all the names of God and how he is, because some of us here need provision and substance or money. We're, God, how is this thing going to happen? I'm so backlogged in this. What's going to take place here? Some of us need provision in our emotional stability. There are some things going on in our mind. God, I pray that you give me the mind of Christ. So wherever you are in your experience with God, he can provide for that. So beautiful, but here's what's going to have to happen. I hate to tell you this, but you're going to have to get working. One thing I know for sure is if you're going to get anything in life, you're going to have to work. Joseph worked. Joseph didn't sit in the corner of the jail cell going, those stupid brothers, I can't believe my life. Never going to get out of this pit. We're going to make God now. Boy, if work for my brothers, I'd be overdoing my thing. I had my thing all set up, but no, it's all them. It's all their fault. I can't believe those guys. Did you, did you see that? Attitude. I've heard it said like this. Attitude determines your altitude. And our attitude's where we are at. It may be our attitude and positioning with our spouse and our marriage. Maybe our attitude's a little off kilter. Can, don't have to raise your hand there, but if it's there, I, I challenge you to get a new attitude and a new perception that somehow they owed you for this and they didn't apologize for this that way and you're sitting in the corner of your jail cell going, this marriage is stupid, I can't believe all these stupid things, you're so stupid. But don't we get like kids? Don't we become like little children? God wants you working, though. P.T. Barnum wrote, work at it, and if necessarily early and late and season and out of season... Not leaving a stone unturned and never deferring for a single hour that which can be done just as well now. You know, folks, the time for you to get working on your situations is right now. Do you catch that in season and out of season? You know, that's what the Bible teaches us is that we need to be ready to serve. We need to be ready to grow. We need to be ready to be successful in season and out. You know, with our work right now, we're kind of just on the cusp of our season Changing, but we've had to start changing things and gearing things up because if we wait until the season is crazy, then we're going to go crazy. And if you wait for your season to be just right, it will never be perfect and you'll be overwhelmed by it and you won't be ready. I challenge you right now in the pit where you're at is that you start to work at those things in your life. You start to change habits. You know, I was even in the situation of working on our spiritual stuff, is that so often we're into our work ethic and we're into this and we're into that, but we're not into growing our family, we're not into establishing things, we're not into our spiritual growth. It was crazy. Ann was gone and I was working on some kitchen stuff and I remember listening to a message and I literally grabbed a piece of paper and just sat on the kitchen floor and just started taking notes of the message, just taking that in this way. Over and over again, folks, where you are at, you can work on making yourself a better person in Christ. Got to work at it, though. Got to work at it. Jesus Christ does not work by osmosis. I wish he did in school for me. He didn't. 
I think in work right now for all of us, make yourself irreplaceable. You know, at work right now, is your boss look at you and say, boy, that's one of the best workers I've ever seen? Or would they say, you know what, if they never show up, eh, it'd be alright with me. Come on, how is it? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, let's turn there real quick and let's have a conversation about work. Because I don't think that we have a good work ethic in America anymore. And laziness is condemned over and over again in our lives. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Even while I was with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work, they won't get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work, and meddling in other people's business. Can I get a hearty amen there? We commend such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus to settle down and work to earn their own living. Folks, this should be right out of the gate. We should just proclaim this from the mountaintop in every city of, of our nation that... Folks, we have got to work, and the work is what's going to get us to where we're going to go. Go after it. It's not very exciting, is it? It's not very exciting to be the person to work when nobody's noticing you. It's not really exciting to be the person to do all the things and not get the pat on the back sometimes, is it? But you know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us to work and do it as unto the Lord. So when we are working, you know, Joseph got taken advantage of and Even when he was in the pit, God's favor was on his life. And if you're willing to be used of God, no matter where you find yourself at, somehow God will find a way for your life to be working in a powerful way. Your attitude, your commitment, your sense of duty. You're like, Pastor, I need to get out of the pit. Come on, give me some tools here. Your attitude, your commitment, your sense of duty, getting there early. You know, some of us, we get to work as late as we possibly can. Got to be there at 8? Well, you'll get there at 8.05. Wake yourself up earlier. No, pastor, I need to get out of this pit. Take on the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad. Take the day. Be the one to go there. I'm telling you, your boss will notice. I know it because I manage guys. And I know the ones I want to pay a lot and the ones I don't want to pay a lot. <laughs> he dedicated himself. Always deal with the things, by the way. After you realize that you are a success, after you realize that God's favor on your life, after you realize, and as Joseph did in the pit, that I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You don't have to wake up in the morning and say, bless me, Lord. You're blessed. You're filled with the Holy Spirit today. You're the temple of God. When you come in there and you're filled with God and filled with Christ, you don't need to ask for God's blessings. The blessings will emanate from your life. Because you will start to look for ways to bless people. You will start to see people and you'll respond as opposed to reacting in your work. And you will start to be a blessing. And you will start to be... I didn't hear everyone. That's the goal at church here today. 
See, I didn't say you were just going to jump out of a pit. I didn't say this magic little pill that you would take. I didn't say that on this fourth step, by the time you get done with this and you quoted that verse 12 times, that somehow your brain will line up with your heart and then you'll get it. I am telling you that step by step, line upon line, precept upon precept, as you adjust yourself in your attitude to say, God, I am committed to working through this pain and this problem, then you will start to see the light. Number two, deal with the things that are harming you, by the way. A lot of things in life harm us, don't they? And there are lots of things in life that don't have to be harming us, that are trying to harm us. Obstacles will always inhabit our happiness. See, Joseph couldn't prevent himself from being thrown in the pit. He was a victim in that moment from his brothers, but he didn't stay a victim. See, his brothers wanted to kill him, and then one of the brothers stood up and said, man, I've got to save this guy, let's just throw him in a pit. And then they go, well, let's sell him to slavery. See, he couldn't change any of those things. Joseph couldn't have. I guarantee you, Joseph was yelling, guys, Get me out of this place! And he couldn't change that. But now what can start to happen in all of our lives, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have circumstances in your life and you start to internalize those things? You start to check them all down and you start to list every offense and every setback and everything that person did wrong to you. And now the pit no longer is an external thing now it has become internalized, and this is where people get the victim mindset, where they start to go through life and they think, I can never overcome the pain, I can never overcome the struggle. Always deal with the things that harm you. Obstacles will always inhibit our happiness, won't they? Anybody ever been sad before? Bitterness, disobedience, pride, and other hindrances can only harm us. Folks, those things can never be turned to good, James Randall Robinson said. Instead, those things must be thrown aside. See, there are some things that God will use for greater good, and there are other things that he says, I can't use anything with that stuff. Get rid of it. You know, the Bible says, take every sin and weight that so easily entangles you. Take off that stuff. In other words, God can't make you take the sins off your life. You're going to have to say, God... I am giving you this burden. The Bible describes it in Hebrew like a horse or a donkey literally taking a load, and if you can imagine, tipping it over and allowing the load to dump off. Folks, many of us have loads in our pits that are not good. Some of you are trying to turn good out of it and turn positive spins on it. You need to say, it is what it is. It was nasty what they said about me. This I'm not letting turn to bitterness. I'm getting rid of all my bitterness, resentment, and rage towards that situation. That's not a good thing. It's not healthy for my life. It's held me back mentally from establishing who I am in Christ. And today I am taking those obstacles and I am dumping them off. They can never be turned for good. Bitterness can never be used for good, folks. Pride can never be used for good. And we deceive ourselves into thinking how we're working through these problems. And I'm telling you, if you've been thinking about the same thing with the same person the same way for the last ten years, folks, it's time to get a new mindset about it. You're going to have to let them go in the middle of your pit. What you meant for evil. It's interesting Marge used that verse. She stole that today. She saw my notes here today. 
Desmond Tutu was speaking with author Jerry Porras and said, it's natural to feel like hell when things turn out badly, laughed Desmond Tutu, the Nobel Peace Prizing winning archbishop. He leaned forward almost whispering, but don't let that stop you. Emotions are a storm that sweep through your life. This defeat you had matters less than what you ultimately want to create. This defeat that you have matters less than what God wants to create through you. So whatever defeat you have right now today, you might be looking in the face and you say, this has been a defeat scenario my whole life, a lose, lose, lose. But it matters matters less than what God is trying to create in and through you right now. That matters less! Now you might not believe me right now, but as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, He's going to say, no matter what it was, it matters less than what I'm trying to do for you, this beautiful picture. Joseph, don't forget about the stars and the moon bowing to you. Don't forget about the sheaves bowing to you. Don't forget the position I have for you. The emotions, they come flooding in, don't they? You know what I realized, too, about our imaginations? Even in my own life, it doesn't matter what reality is. Because if you're thinking it, it's your imagination. That's reality to you. So the person next to you might be thinking rationally and saying, you know what, you shouldn't be thinking this way or doing these things because they're wrong. To you, it makes all the sense in the world because your imagination has gone to places that you never intended for it to go. Cast off every thought and imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God for you today. Some of us are imagining things. You know, I think of some of these movies and these programs and these shows. Haven't you sat there for a minute on some of these and go, where do they come up with this stuff? What a sick world. And then we put it into our own brains. That was such a great story, a great plot. It's a bunch of junk come out from the pit of hell. We're consumed with these thoughts. And we wonder where they come from. Garbage in. That will never change. We ask these questions like Joseph, the emotions came flooding in. As we skip now through, Joseph had favor on his life. Now Joseph is put in charge of Potiphar's estate, his house. Everything in his house, the Bible says that he was put in charge with. He starts doing his daily duties. Now Joseph was a young, buff guy. He looked good. I always say, Joseph looked good. <laughs> Joseph's doing his thing. And now Potiphar's wife comes to life and Joseph, Joseph, why don't you and I, you know, and if the Bible says that she literally reached for him because she wanted him and she pulled the cloak from him and he ran completely the other direction out of the house. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now where you are in life. Some of you flirt with life and things. Some of you are going around paths and situations and you're about your business. Folks, the enemy doesn't come with horns and a pitchfork. He comes as an angel of light. So you may not recognize it in that moment, but the moment it happens, I will tell you this. Use your God-given discernment and conscience and run completely the other direction. Will you please? And I don't care what it is, what you're facing, what temptation. There is no temptation taking you. 
beyond that which is common to man. God provides a way out. Temptation doesn't come from God. God, why are you tempting me? He's not tempting you. The enemy's tempting you. Remember, God gets the blame for everything in life, doesn't he? What happens in our life, it starts to fall apart. Here, Joseph is faithful, and this is the hard part, and this is where we turn the road and we go, oh my goodness, what do I have to do with these obstacles in my life? See, now you're doing things right. How many of you know before you were a Christian, before you were saved, before you were walking with Christ, life was a whole lot easier, wasn't it? Didn't have to worry about nothing. Didn't have to worry about what you said to someone. You, didn't, you could do what you want to do. You could live life your way because it was your life. See, but when you surrender your life to Christ, it all matters. Everything. Every little thing matters. Every idle word we speak, the Bible says you're going to give an account for. Everything that flings out of your mouth just because you feel like it. By the way, just because you feel something doesn't mean you get to say it. Well, I just felt this way. Blah, blah, blah. So you just puke on the people around you. See, we don't get that privilege as a believer anymore because we are surrendered to Christ. So Joseph, by the way, he wasn't a slave to Potiphar. He wasn't a slave. He was a slave for Christ, the Bible says. So you and I, we are slaves for Christ. We will do anything for him. Joseph now is taken advantage of. He's maliciously lied against. He tried raping me. He tried doing all these things. Potiphar, and Potiphar sends him back down to the pit. How many know at that point you'd be a little upset with the Lord? God, I did things right. I did things the right way. I did everything by the book. What are you doing? God, I was right there. I was in Potiphar's house. I've been faithful to you. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you said that before? What's happening in my life? It's just falling apart. Here's an amazing thing. Be careful when you get into that mode because you can start to feel sorry for yourself. Stormy R. Martin writes this. This may be a big shock to you, and I know it is to me, but often when we think something as unfortunate is happening to us, it is actually an answer to prayer we have prayed. Only the answer didn't manifest the way we thought it should, so we failed to recognize it. That's why seeing what's right is entirely a matter of having God's perspective. Jennifer had been praying faithfully for her troubled, and not our Jennifer, but Jennifer had been praying faithfully for our, their troubled relationship with her husband, David. When the company David had been working for downsized, he found himself without employment for what had turned out to be 10 months. This kind of turn could have destroyed an already ailing marriage. But instead of sinking into despair, Jennifer asked God to show her the truth about the situation. God revealed it was not true that her husband's career as well as her marriage was finished as they both had feared. The truth was that God had a great path ahead for them, but they couldn't walk if they were crippled by a broken marriage. God was giving them time together. So they sought counseling. They did all of those sorts of things. And God started to repair and restore their relationships. Folks, be careful. Now, the answer from God, God will answer. God says when you pray, God will hear from heaven. He will heal our land, the Bible says. When the healing comes and what he does and the ingredients he uses might not be exactly how it lined up. Here this couple had, he had lost his job, the marriage was falling apart, you would have thought everything was just falling apart, but in that moment, God was saying, I'm going to take this away right now in your life so that you can focus on what matters most. And it's not the money, it's not all of this stuff, it's your relationship to this person. Folks, I want you to know today, God is working out his plan in your life and in my life. 
and it might seem like setbacks. I love what Stephen Arterburn writes. He said, here's the vital truth. The life we desire is not out there somewhere. We have full access to everything belonging to God right here, right now, where we are at. Turn real quick back to Genesis 39. Aren't you glad you're getting out of a pit today? See, some of us aren't even planning on getting out of a pit. We have to be awoken to know that. Genesis 39, 20 and 21. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But, everyone say but. But. The Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Pretty neat stuff. God lining up the events. God orchestrating things. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. Folks, I am telling you where you are at in your situation, you can be the Joseph. I'm telling you. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Now Joseph gets into a position, God working things out. He meets a cupbearer and a baker. Baker must have baked a bad cake to get down there. I don't know what bacon he did wrong. He must have been on Hell's Kitchen or something, did a really bad job. Joseph's talking to these guys, and here's what Joseph said. He goes, listen... They had dreams when they came down there. We got these crazy dreams. We don't have an answer for them. We don't understand them. Joseph said, tell me your dream because God knows and shows all the answers and gives all the dreams. Imagine that. Someone coming to you, telling problems, and as opposed to you saying, I don't know what you're going to do with that one, Johnny. Boy, that's pretty rough. I want some problem solvers around me, don't you? I want some people that will be willing to stand in the gap in that moment and say, hey, you know what? I don't know all the answers, but I know the God who does, and I know how to get to Him." So, folks, you might not know all the answers on everything, but you know a God who will provide the answers for everything. Joseph wouldn't get out of that pit, by the way, with might or sheer will. Some of us are so focused on our own wills. I'm strong. Boy, you, you break down sometimes, don't you? Sheer will or connections the Spirit of God welling up inside of him to declare history-changing events to Pharaoh is what made the difference. For our church folks, we must be willing to be the ones to step up in our society. We must be. Not waiting for my local governments to figure things out. The church needs to figure things out. We're not too confident about that anymore. But there was a day in America where non-profits, I was talking to some about this, about non-profits and churches. There used to be a place, you know, the Red Cross, that was a Christian organization that kind of started that way. You know, you think about churches and benevolence and helping and feeding the community and taking care of the poor. That was solely upon the church's shoulders. Are we willing to step up in the critical moment, Samuel Chadwick said this in the early 1900s, but those people way back then didn't have any answers because they didn't have iPhones, so they didn't know anything. The church, and this is the church's problem for ever in a day, the church that multiplies committees 
and neglects prayer, may be fussy and noisy and enterprising. But its labors in vain and spends its strength for naught. It is possible to excel in mechanics and fail in dynamics. There is an abundance of machinery. What is wanting is power. So we've got a lot of machinery going on in the church today. You don't even need the Spirit of Christ to do church. You buy church in a box, and you have a church. You can go online and with a click of a button become an ordained minister, and you have yourself a pastor. We've got mechanics down really good, folks. We've got committees upon committees for everything. But what we don't have in the church so often is the power of Christ. We're not going forth in prayer. We're, we're going forth in the wisdom of men. We're going forth in our know-how. We're going forth in our money, whatever it might be. Folks, it should never be the lack of money or the abundance thereof that gets you forward in life in the first place. If you want to go after something and God's calling you to do it, go get it. Now the Proverbs does tell us to consider the cost. He just doesn't say... Don't do anything, just be flippant about it. Use wisdom, use counsel. But folks, if God is calling you to go after something, go after it if God's calling you. He will provide for you. What's your critical moment right now that you need an answer to? Are you willing to listen to Him? Turn real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What's your critical moment? First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts He has given you. Now that you belong to Christ Jesus, through Him, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the Beautiful. So that means you have everything you need spiritually, every gift you need. You say, well, Pastor, I love this. We take our spiritual gifts class. Well, I don't have the gift of interpretation. Well, what happens if you're in a remote village or a group of people and something happens? There's a tongue that goes forth and there's no interpreter. Can you? Here's how I want you to think. As opposed to setting up personal roadblocks to spiritual gifts, just say, hey, God, you told me to balance that scripture out that, hey, I need to ask for spiritual gifts. Brilliant idea, right? Well, Pastor, I've taken four spiritual gifts tests, and see Peter Wagner tells me that I don't have this. Can you imagine Joseph in jail? Guys, I'm not really good at dreams and interpretations. I don't know what to tell you. We're just going to have to wait for another Christian to come down here and figure this out. You know, that's what our churches do. We don't want that problem. We're, we're not good at that problem, Pastor. We're not good at doing that. Well, then we've got to become good at it. you got to become good at what you do. And there might be things God's calling you to do that God says, Listen, you may not be good at this in your flesh, but in, my, in your spirit there are things shaking and stirring. And so Joseph jumps forward. There is not another rep 
reference in there of Joseph interpreting a dream, was there? I never saw him interpreting dreams. I saw him having dreams, but I didn't see interpretation. He's faithful to execute his word. The end of this story is so powerful. What you meant for harm. Genesis 45, 1 through 8. Let's turn there. And Sandra, if you want to come up and start playing, if you could. Genesis 45. We're going to be taking communion in a moment, I see. I didn't forget, guys. I'm good. Genesis 45, verses 1 through 8. In fact, if we could have our um, deacons and elders come forward, we'll start getting the elements ready. I want to hit with this impact here. Genesis 45, 1 through 8. And this is what's so important in your critical moment, not to get it wrong. Joseph had revealed his identity Thank you, sir. Joseph could stand it no longer. Now his brothers have come. A famine had come. He had prophesied to the Pharaoh. Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have seven years of plenty and seven years of horrible stuff. You've got to get ready. He's second in command. Life is beautiful for him, but how many of you know Joseph in the position he's at, hovering over all the people in the control of all of Egypt, all he had to do was say one word, and his brothers get wiped off the face of the earth. His brothers come there, and I want you to grab the emotion that Joseph had. It said, Joseph couldn't stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you! So he was alone with his brothers. And when he told them who he was, then he broke down and he wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him. And word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. He says, I am Joseph! He said to his brothers, Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. Can you imagine this? Listen to me. Don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine has ravaged the land for two years and it will last for five more years. And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. Folks, God, when he promotes you, It's amazing how he'll use the ingredients of what the devil meant for evil to harm. God will turn to good and it will work out, I'm telling you. And this is where we must trust in the sovereignty of God over our lives and what he's doing, that he will make a way where there was no way. It wasn't you who sent me here, but God. I want to turn to one more scripture here. 
In Acts 22.22, because something very similar happened, Jesus Acts 2.22 and 23 People of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles and wonders and signs through him as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and he prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and killed him. Isn't it interesting that God's prearranged plan for Jesus Christ from the foundation of the world was what we celebrate today in this cup we call communion? Where God knew, and he used wicked Gentiles and wicked Jews to crucify Jesus. The betrayal, everything, was part of God's ultimate plan for our freedom. Joseph said, God didn't establish me up here so that I can have my life taken care of. So many times all we think about is our own life and our own well-being and our own good and our own family. Folks, the reason why Joseph got promoted was the ultimate plan of God for the nation of Israel to be birthed. Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world so that you and I could have freedom, so that we can have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, with the knowledge of Scripture and what it says, and how God predestined the death of His Son Jesus, the nastiness of the cross, the betrayal of a disciple, all of that was ingredients that God used for ultimate victory. And today, maybe you sit here and you've known religion and you've known church. Your grandma's grandma must have been the best Baptist person ever, but God is speaking to you. And He is saying, come unto me and I will make you fishers of men. Today, if you don't know Christ, you might have been stuck in the pain in the pit. And God's drawing you out and saying, this cross offers you freedom. And whomever the sun sets free today is free indeed. You don't have to be in bondage to that sin. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Today you want to know Christ and His power. You might have known Him doctrinally. You might even have tons of scripture memorized today, but you don't have Christ in your heart. And you want to know Him today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, yeah, I want to know Jesus in my heart. I want Him to be my friend. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Why don't you lift your hand? I want to pray with you. Anyone? Thank you. Anyone else? Say, I want Christ in my heart and my life today. Why don't we all pray this prayer together? Dear Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for me, for my junk, for my sin, for my burdens, everything. I give you my heart today, and I choose to follow after you. Thank you, God, for filling my life, not just a part of it, but that you take control of everything in my life. Jesus' name.
folks, it's awesome. We have this communion cup that celebrates that preordained moment that God had ordered. The Bible says that Jesus went down to the pit for three days and three nights like he was in the belly of a whale, like Jonah. He took the keys to death, hell, and the grave, folks, and he has victory. So even, the Bible says, even in our dying, you know, we're not all going to live forever here on earth, but thank God we live forever. We're eternal beings, folks. And we'll either spend our life with Christ in friendship or eternal separation in eternal darkness. Thank God we have found Christ. Amen? Amen. Shall we partake together? I haven't even started ripping my thing off yet here. Shall we break the bread and partaking of the body of Christ? And his blood which is poured out for all of our sins. Not covering them, not atoning for them, but completely taking them away. Washing them and taking our sins to the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. So we partake of this incredible blessing that God has for us in celebrating the cross. Before we end today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe today you've been in the pit. In your attitude, the adjustments, wherever you're at, you say, you know what? Maybe I'm never going to get out of this pit. Never get out of this situation. I want to ask you to do something in stepping out. Joseph stepped out and he said, hey, God's got an answer here. And you say, God's given me a dream and giving me a future. And you're grabbing onto it. You may not know all the elements of your future and all that's going on, but you do know God today. I want to remind you of that. I want us to take a few moments up here at the altar and just maybe renew some of those things with God and say, God, you've got my steps ordered and you've got my steps ordained and I'm trusting you every step of the way. Why don't we just take a few minutes to do that if God is speaking to you right now. Father, we surround these people right now with blessing. And God, I pray that that your favor will be upon them, each and every one of them. And the sacrifices and everything that's made, God, it's all for your glory and it's all for your honor. 
God, I thank you for success over them. And where the enemy would try to push them down and say there is no future, there is no hope. Lord, I speak hope to them right now in the mighty name of Jesus. God, where your word says hope deferred makes the heart sick, I just thank you, God, their hearts will leap after today because of the hope of the future that you've instilled for us, for tomorrow, for the newness. God, I pray for courage and being committed even when people say bad things about us and try to take advantage of us, try to harm us, that we don't internalize those things, but we throw them off. I pray that blessing over these people right now that are up here and for all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Leave here today knowing that you're going to get out of that pit. Amen. So. Feel free to hang out, pray, do whatever, but just know that uh, God's got victory for us. Amen.